You are listening to the Discovery City Church Sermon Podcast. To learn more about us, including our location and service times, please visit us at discoverycitychurch.com. We hope this sermon will encourage and build your faith as you pursue God, community, and influence within your world. Now, the message from our lead pastor, Caleb York. I want to give you the premise of this series so far. We've said since the beginning that everything has a starting point. Your life has a starting point. For many of you, your life happened on purpose. Some of you, it happened on accident. It happened. And that's okay. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. We learned that, you guess what? Your job had a starting point. Parenting had a starting point. And we learned in week one that your faith has a starting point. Somewhere along the way, someone gave you the building blocks of faith. Maybe you saw a parent praying. Maybe you went to a church where they taught you how to talk to God and who God is. They gave you the building blocks of faith. But what's happened so many times is that we got older. And for many of us, we outgrew our faith. We outgrew it. There became, we discovered that there's a gap between what we were taught about God and what we experience in adulthood. And for many of you, you've been there. There's somewhere along the way that you didn't plan on it or you didn't mean to, but you abandoned the faith. And life kept going and your faith was just left in the past. And so we said the first week, what if we hit the reset button? What if we started over in our faith again? What if we created a new starting point or a new returning point? What would, the, what would that look like? Where would we want to begin? Where would we want to start over new? This morning, as we're, we're about to dive into this message, I'd encourage you, get your service guides out. Take notes this morning. I got a few notes for you this morning to fill in. The first one, and so today, before we go to our first note, I want to move on to our third point in this series. I want to move on to our third point. The, the first week we said and we learned that every faith, everyone's faith has a starting point. But today we're actually going to find out the actual story of, the actual story of faith in general has a starting point. There was a beginning point for our faith. There was a point where every major religion and every major faith tradition and belief has a story behind it. And so that brings my first point this morning. The story of of faith has a starting point. The story of faith has a starting point. It's what we would call a history. And the truth is in many churches and in this world today, there are a lot of people who are not very interested in the history behind their faith. They're not. They're just like, hey, I got it, I'm good. I'm not really interested. Many people don't care about who started their faith. They care more that it's Thursday and they prayed to God, God, give me a date on on Monday. But God, it didn't happen. Where's that date? God, where are you? Why didn't you answer my prayer? We have so many people, they care more about here and now. Or God, I have a test tomorrow and I didn't study for it and so I need you to, I need you to work a miracle. I've got I've to accomplish this assignment at work. I need you to work a miracle because I'm not prepared for it. Because if you don't, 
I'm probably going to lose my job. I'm going to fail. We care more about what God can do for us right now. And maybe that's the reason where there's a lot of people somewhere along the way, they walked away from their faith. Because you really didn't know the history behind it. You didn't know where it started. You didn't know where it came from. And so today, we're going to get a chance and for the first few minutes to talk about the history of faith. We're going to go back in time thousands of years to an event that I believe will connect your life, connect to your life today. So if you decide, hey, I'm going to reset my faith. I need a new starting point. I really want you to figure this history into all of it today that we're going to be talking about in just a minute. And that brings me to my second point. The three largest faith traditions claim the same starting point. The three largest faith traditions that we have in this world today claim the same starting point. And those three traditions are these three beliefs, these, these uh, three faith traditions are Islam, Judaism, and Christianity. They all claim the same starting point. Did you know that all three of these major faith traditions all believe that there is a single God that created the earth? They all three believe it. Even though they call him by different names, they all believe that there was a, a first man and his name was Adam. We even see Muhammad. He even teaches that Adam was the first prophet. Jesus himself mentions Adam. And you know the crazy thing about Christianity and Christians is when Jesus says something, we believe it. He was the only one out of all the beliefs that actually predicted his death and then predicted that he would come back, and he did. And so when someone does that, we just believe them, right? Like, we, we, we put a lot of trust in them. And so for Christians, we believe that when Jesus talked about Adam, he was talking about the first man, the literal man, Adam. All three believe that God created this earth and that God created the first man. But not only that, all three also believe that somewhere along the line, humans messed up this world. Humans were introduced and made a mess of things. I think we would all agree on that today. I think we would all agree that humans have messed up this world. We may not agree on some other things. We may not agree on, uh, you know, like the, the, the seven days of creation. We may not agree on this or agree on that, but we can all agree that humans mess this place up. We talked last week that, guess what? Our problem is not that we make mistakes and we're mistakers. Our problem is we are sinners and we sin. And there's a big difference between a sinner and a mistaker. Humans have messed this place up. Without a doubt, without a question. Another thing that all three have in common is they all come together around a single man. Because of the wickedness in this world and how messed up this world is, God began to connect with this man so that through his life, he could begin to correct the, the, can begin to correct the issues in this world. And that man was Abraham. Abraham and his life are where all three faith traditions come together. His life is also, this is the funny thing, his life is also where all faith traditions, these all three faith traditions separate. They come together and as soon as they come together, they leave. Islam goes in one direction, Judaism goes in another direction, and a few hundred years we see Christianity sprouts its own wings and goes in its own direction. 
But they all began and came together at Abraham. And I think this is so important right here. I think this is so important. This history is so overlooked, but it has a part to play in our faith today. It has a part to play in our life today. And so now we're going to look at a conversation between Abraham and God in the Bible in the book of Genesis that touches on a tension that many of you have probably felt before. It touches on a question that many of you maybe even be wrestling with today. And the question is this, if there's a God, how am I doing? If there's a God, how am I doing? Like, am I, am I doing what's right? Am I making it? Am I, am I doing what he expects me to do? You know, how do we look in your sight, God? Like, does he hear my prayers? How can I have a conversation with God? The conversation we're about to look at between Abraham and God answers those very questions right there. Gives us everything we need to know about it. And then at the end of the day, I'm gonna give you an actual statement in scripture that is so perplexing, it's so powerful that I'm gonna leave you with it. And in this statement, your life will connect to the life of Abraham. This is very important for us to go through today. This is something we really gotta pay attention to. And so this morning, go and turn to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12 is where we're gonna begin this morning. As you're turning there, the other day I was uh, taking a break. We, were, we lived in Pittsburgh uh, before we moved here. And so we, <clears throat> I remember I had a Saturday where I was a youth pastor. I had the day off. The kids are home from school. And I remember I was laying on the couch just enjoying just a beautiful Saturday, watching TV. And the kids are running around the house. They're playing, having fun. And I remember as I'm laying down watching TV, relaxing, all of a sudden from our kitchen, and how our house worked is like our, our, our living room, dining room, kitchen, and main doorway was like a big U. There was our staircase in the middle that went down to our basement. So it was one big open U. And so I'm in there just watching TV. And all of a sudden in the kitchen, I hear this big bang, this big glass shatter. Hits the ground and you can hear like the pieces of glass like gliding across the tile floor. I mean, it's just you hear this huge mess taking place. And I remember instantly I, I jumped right off the couch and went running in there. And to my, the, the sight that I came upon was my son, Jack, my oldest, in the corner with his back against the countertop. And in front of him is glass just spread across the entire floor of the kitchen. And him standing there on his tippy toes of his bare feet. And can you imagine my reaction as I come in there? Like, what are you doing? Like, why did you... Why didn't you ask for help? You know you could ask for help. You know what, Jack? You better get this all cleaned up. I'm going to go watch TV, and when I come back in here, if this isn't cleaned up, you're in big trouble. Now, some of you, do you believe that? Does anybody believe that? No, you're like, no, nah, you're a bad parent if you do that. I would never do that. What, would I, what did I do? I, I went and I got my shoes on and I began to walk across the broken glass to my son and I picked him up and I took him to a place of safety. And then I turned around and looked at the mess and I was just like, have you ever had a mess so big you were like, let's just sell the house and like go buy a new house. Like this is just, this is just like a nightmare. You know what? I think it's so similar that we see in this, this age right here of Abraham, in a similar way, mankind had polluted the world. 
In this ancient world that we see right here, it was not uncommon for people just to see someone and go, you know what, I'm going to kidnap that person and make them my slave. It wasn't uncommon in the ancient world. Slavery was not given a second thought. There was no law. There were no rights. But we see that God looked. We see God looked and saw that sin had taken hold of all humanity. And in that moment, he had a decision to make. Do I wade into the mess of this world and do something about it? Or do I hang a sign on it that just says, you know what? Earth is out of order. Go somewhere else. He had a decision to make. We see that all three faith traditions believe that God waded into the mess of humanity by choosing a single man, choosing Abraham as a starting point of faith. We see in 1876 BC that God interrupts humanity. He chooses Abraham, a completely normal guy. And can I tell you this, to be completely honest, not super righteous, not a super spiritual guy. We actually see in a later on story that Abraham, him and his wife Sarah are traveling through the land of Egypt. And Abraham knows that the king is known for taking on many wives and is constantly looking for new wives that are beautiful, beautiful women. He had people out looking for people, looking for women for him to marry, the Pharaoh to marry. And so Abraham says, Sarah, you know what? You are really good looking. And when we get into Egypt, they're going to try to kill me to get you. So why don't we do this? Why don't you say you're my sister? That way I get to live. And so they go into Egypt and guess what happens? They see Sarah and they see she is fine. And they walk up and say, hey, is this your wife right here? No, she's my sister. And they take her off. And guess what? The story goes on that Pharaoh finds out. Actually, God puts plagues on Pharaoh's house. And Pharaoh finds out that Abraham and Sarah have lied. And he brings them in and says, what have you done to me? Why did you lie? He's not a super righteous person. Why did you lie to me? The story goes that, that Pharaoh kicks both of them out of the land of Egypt. He kicks them out. Now, we just got done having Valentine's Day weekend. Have any of you have your spouse ever tried to pawn you off? Has that not happened yet? He's, not, he's just a regular guy. Abraham here is a regular man, not super spiritual, not something special. But God was like, I've got to start somewhere. I've got to start somewhere, and I'm going to start with this man, Abraham. If we look at Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 says this. Now the Lord said to Abram, obviously, this is his name before God changes it later on. Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Or in other words, I want you to abandon and leave your circles of influence. I want you to isolate you. I want, I want you to isolate yourself, go somewhere else, because I want to start something new through you and through your life. I've chosen you because I, I had to start somewhere. So we see God chooses this man, Abraham, and then he gives him three promises. Look at verse two. Verse two says this, and I will make you, make of you a great nation. Can I say this? In hindsight, that came true. That came true because if we look at the nation of Israel, they would say, we are a great nation. 
If we looked at the Arab nations, they would say, we are a great nation. What's interesting here is that God is addressing sin and disobedience in the world. The world, not just a country, not just a town, not just a city, the world. And he chooses, he starts with a single man. I don't know if you've noticed, but nations take a long time to make. He's going to make a great nation out of this man, but he starts with one. He doesn't start with a group of people. He doesn't start with a group and say, hey, go multiply. Like, you're going to be a great nation in no time. No, he starts with one man. That's like calling the fire department to an emergency. And them saying, well, you know, give us just a minute. We've got to put the engine back together. And then once we get the engine back in the fire truck, we'll be right there. There's not really a sense of urgency, is there? But in the same way, he looks at Abraham and he says, I'm going to make you a great nation. Then we keep reading verse 2. And I will bless you and make your name great. Now let's do a little survey this morning. I know you guys love surveys. Loves them over here. How many of you, before you walked in the building today, heard of the name Abraham before? 100%. 100%. Ben was thinking about it for a second. <clears throat> 100%. We've heard of the name Abraham. Yeah. How many of you would say, how, how many of you have heard of the name Chatterley Amer? Anybody ever heard of Chatterley Chatter Amer? I can't even say his name. Chatterley Lamer. Anybody ever heard of him? Good. No Bible scholars, just me today. Chatterley Lamer was the most powerful king in the land of Elam at that time. He was most powerful king in the world in Abraham's day. He was famous. People knew him. But nobody's heard his name today. Nobody remembers his name. They remember this one regular regular ordinary man named Abraham. God fulfills his promise. God doesn't lie. He says, I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to bless you, Abraham. And he doesn't lie. He does it. Then look at verse 3. His third promise. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. He didn't, say, he didn't say to individuals, he said all families. He didn't say just a certain group of people, he said all people groups. I am going to bless the families, your families of all the earth. And today, the Muslims would say, that's us. We're the family he's talking about. He's blessed us. The, the Jews would say, that's us. He's blessed us. Christians today would say, that's us. He blessed us. And God would say, that's my point. I blessed you. You have been blessed. God is fulfilling his promise right here. He's fulfilling what he said he would do. That's exactly what he was talking about. I want to bless you. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing? These ancient coincidences. that every one of them would come true. No one came close to touching our world like Abraham did. I read that one scholar said that Abraham is the most famous man that ever lived. And that's the reason why everyone wants to claim him. 
Abraham, he receives all these promises from God. But then something happens. He begins to get a little bit older. And a little bit older. And a little bit older. And he starts to question God. He starts to go, God, what's going on? You said I was going to be, uh, I was going to be the beginning of a great nation. That means I've got to have kids. God, I don't have any kids. Like, what's going on? You promised me this. Abraham, even in this point, said, God, the problem is I've got this, this servant. I've got this chief servant of mine. His name's Eleazar. And he says, God, if, if, I don't have a son. All my stuff, all my worldly possessions, they go to Eleazar. Is Eleazar, is he my heir? Is he the one that you're going to build this great nation through? Because I don't have any kids. God, I thought you said you were going to use me. And we see when Abraham begins to question God that one night while he's praying, God speaks to him. And we're going to look at Genesis chapter 15, just a couple chapters over. Genesis chapter 15, verse 4. We see God speaks to him. He says this, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man, talking about Eleazar, shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. In other words, Abraham, don't worry. Don't worry. I've got you covered. I've got this covered. You are going to actually have an actual son. It's not going to be Eleazar. It's going to be your son. And then keep reading verse 5. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Now for us, this means nothing. If you've grown up close to a city, this means nothing right here. We live just outside of Columbus and we have so much artificial light shining on the sky and radiating light into the sky. We only see a couple stars at night. We don't really get to catch all the stars that are going on. But here in this era, there's no artificial light. There's no light coming from big cities. They are out and they can see everything. And God takes Abraham outside and says, look at the sky. And he sees a blanket of stars across the sky. And he says, Abraham, Start counting those stars. I don't know if Abraham was like, okay, one, two, I I don't know. But God says, try to count those stars. Try. Can you do it? He says in verse five, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. I know you don't have a son, but trust me. I know you don't know what's going to happen. You know, more people are going to know about you. More people are going to know your name. And I'm going to make you a great nation. Abraham, just trust me. I'm going to take care of this. And then we see the writer of Genesis make a statement in the next verse that is so significant. That there's no doubt that some of us have probably read right over this thing without even giving it a second thought. I know I have. What we're about to read is the first time in history that God states the nature of his relationship between him and a regular man. It's the first time. 
It was like if someone asked the question, how is it that just one man can have a relationship with the all-powerful God that created everything? How is that possible? Maybe for some of you, there was a point in your life where you thought you knew the answer to that. Then someone came along and said, no, 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 that's stupid. You can't have a relationship with God. That's dumb. And maybe you listened to them. And because of that, you walked away from your faith. But today, you're actually wondering, what's the truth? What is the truth behind all this? Can we actually have a relationship with the God that created everything? And this statement that we're about, to, we're about to see is where all three faith traditions split. This is before the Ten Commandments. This is 26 years before Islam, 2,000 years before Jesus, that God says through the writer of Genesis in verse 6, let's read that right now. Verse 6 says this, And he believed the Lord, and he, that being God, counted it to him as righteousness. What he's saying right here is, Abraham, believe in me. Trust in me. And what does it say? Abraham believed. God, I've got no children, but you're telling me I'm going to have so many kids and that you've got a plan and you're going to use me and you're going to fix this messed up world. I don't know how you're going to do it. I don't know all the details, but I trust you. God, I trust you says that in that moment, when Abraham trusted God, that God credited to Abraham a gift. And that gift was a right standing with him. That gift was a right standing with the creator of the universe. Abraham, you know that bad situation you're going to get into in Egypt? Between your wife and Pharaoh? I'm not going to hold that against you. Abraham, you know that situation that's going to happen in the future between Sarah and her handmaiden? I'm not going to hold that against you. Abraham, I accept you. I accept you because you believed and trusted in me. And that brings me to my last point. Trusting God resulted in a right standing with God. Trusting God resulted in a right standing with God. This was the first time in history that a human being had a right standing with God. Right here. This is it. How did it happen? It was by faith. And it was by trust. We see years would go by and the Jews would completely miss this. They would say, no, 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 no. The way you have a right standing with God is you have to be Jewish. You've got to have the right family. You've got to be a son or daughter of Abraham. That's how you have a right standing with God. Even to the point where when Jesus came onto the scene, they would say, Jesus, no, 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 you, you don't have, you, we don't need you, Jesus. We are sons and daughters of Abraham. And if you want to be right with God, you have to be that too. The Jews didn't get it. 600 years after Jesus, Muhammad would come along and say, in order for you to have a right standing with God, you have to believe in the one true God. You have to believe in his prophets and you have to do works of righteousness. And at the end of your life, you'll stand before a judge and he'll tell you whether you're in or you're out. 
30 minutes after Jesus ascends to heaven from this earth, Christians were already arguing about this very topic. Well, maybe you have to be a Jew. Maybe you have to be Jewish to to have a right standing with God. Well, maybe you have to keep all the laws. No, all you have to do is believe. But that seems too hard to just do, to just believe. So everyone was asking the question, how do you know? How do you know you have a right standing with God? How do you know you've done enough? Is it your birth? Is it who your parents are? Is it your behavior and how you live? Is it your belief? But 4,000 years earlier, God revealed the secret. The most high God revealed that he created everything and made the standard so simple that even you in your own sea of glass, in your own mess of things that you created, God looked in and says, the way that you enter into a relationship with me is trust. Will you trust me? Will you trust me? Will you do what Abraham did? God, it's hard, it's hard to believe. I don't know all the details. I don't know what your plans are. I don't have all the answers, but God, I trust you. I trust that what you say is true. And I trust that what you promise you'll do. God, I trust you. Will you do what Abraham did? For thousands of years, people missed that very important point right there. Jews even today say, it's who your family is. It's who your family is. You've got to be a child of Abraham. It's who you're related to. The Muslims are still saying, no, no, no. It's, it's, it's what you do. It's works of righteousness. You have to make the statement of faith that I believe in the one true God and Muhammad is his prophet. For some of you, it's going to be hard for you to believe this because of what you heard from friends growing up. Maybe from your parents, even pastors. Maybe this didn't work when you went to school because, you know, you can't just go to, you go to school and you got, it got to be works. You got to work hard. It can't just be by faith and trust. You go to your workplace and no, you're expected things out of you. You've got to work. It's works. This might not even have worked for you growing up in your church. Well, you have to do this and this and this order and then. We live in a world that's all based on works and it makes it so hard for us to understand and for us to believe what God says. But we see pre-Christian, pre-Jewish, pre-Islamic days, God said this to Abraham, I declare you righteous because you trusted in me. So how does this tie to our life today? Abraham, who never even heard the name Jesus, He knew the world was messed up. He knew that God was going to make a way and he trusted in God. He didn't go to see pictures of the crucifixion. He had no idea what God had planned. But he trusted in God and that resulted in a right standing with God. He trusted that one day God was going to make a way. And he trusted that it would happen. Now we've got your life on the other side. 2,000 years after Jesus himself came. 
And God has said, I've already sent my son. He's died for you. You weren't there. You don't have a videotape of it. There's no pictures. But I've given you assurance. I've given you assurance because I brought him back from the dead. And he was seen by over a hundred witnesses who have spoke about this. I've given you everything you need. But the question for you was the same for Abraham. Do you trust God? Do you really trust God? It's one thing to say you trust him. But your actions, even though they don't get us to heaven, they're an indicator that we trust him. What does our life look like? Does it show that, God, we trust you? God, we trust you with what you're doing. God, we trust you with what you have in store in my future. I don't know what the details are. I don't know what your plans are, but I trust you. For some of you, today, if you were to be honest, you would say, my life shows that I trust money. Money's where I get my security. That's where I turn to. Some of you might say, I put my trust in who I am. I'm the man. I built this business. I'm the manager. I'm in charge. I do, I, people do what I tell them to do. It's all about my prestige. It's all about who I am. That's what I put my trust in. There are many of you here today, you've placed your trust in everything else. But 4,000 years ago, Abraham trusted in God. Was he perfect after that? No, he wasn't. He made some stupid decisions. But at the end of his life, if you could look over his life, the scope of his life, you would say he trusted God. He made some bad decisions, but overall he trusted God. Abraham was willing to do it even though God would never want it to happen. He asked Abraham to sacrifice his son. And Abraham in that moment, after going through these promises, after waiting for so long and eventually having the son that God promised, says, if that's what you want, I'll sacrifice my only son. And we see what happens is while he's in the actions, while he's in the motions, God says, Abraham, stop. Don't hurt the boy. I know you trust me. You've shown me that you trust me. What are you putting your trust in today? Have you trusted in God completely? Do you trust that he has already provided a way? Have you put your trust in Jesus Christ? Jesus, when he came to this earth, said, my father and I are one. If you trust him, you trust me. Have you put your trust in Jesus? The starting point of faith in general was with Abraham. When God intervened in this messed up world and started the faith. Abraham trusted that one day God's going to make a way. Jesus came and he died for the sins of the world and he made a way. Today, will you trust him? 
Has there ever been a time where you've trusted him? Will you trust him? Thank you for listening to the Discovery City Church podcast. If you've been impacted by this ministry and would like to help us continue to help others, you can give online at discoverycitychurch.com slash give.